You know, a long time ago, we were kids, and I don't really remember this moment, but I'm sure I am to blame in some capacity. I'm sure it was my fault. Um, so for that, Dion, I'm sorry. I apologize. Um, I don't even know what happened, but I'm sure it had something to do with me telling you to do something that you shouldn't have been doing. But um, when we were really young, we were visiting family members in Youngstown, Ohio. Anybody from Youngstown in here? Nope. Okay, good. Because I didn't know anybody from Youngstown either. This was our first time in Youngstown. We have some distant relatives there. And, and so it was a very unfamiliar area for us. And there was a ton of people at this house. Our whole family was there. And so we were playing with our cousins, doing different things. And at some point, like I said, it was probably my fault, but I don't really remember. But at some point, we looked around and we realized that Dion was missing. Now, now he wasn't in the house, in the basement, in a closet. He was gone, like for real missing. And I'm sure I told you to go run around the block or do something. Do you remember this? Okay, good, good. I've lived with this for 30 years, okay? I've lived with the weight of this. <laughs> so anyways, Dion ends up missing, right? And as you can imagine, if this has happened to any parent out there, when you have a moment where you can't find your kids, your heart sinks, and you're like, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? The whole family, there was probably like 30, 40 of us at this house, and we immediately split up into mini search parties. We were running around the whole neighborhood, and we were like, Dion, Dion, where are you? We were yelling and screaming, and I was pretty young. I mean, I probably was like five or six, or I don't know. I was we were young, though. I didn't really understand what was going on, but even at a young age, I could feel the anxiety. I can feel the worry. I can feel the gravity of the situation. It's not a fun thing to experience. And I remember as we were searching, we were searching for a long time. It felt for me, I, I'm sure it was only a few minutes, but it felt like days, right? We were out on the streets looking for him. I'm sure it was only a few minutes, but we ended up finding him, obviously, because he's here. He's not lost. We, we found him. We ended up finding him. He was in the garage of, a, of a, an amazing, you know, sweet young or old man. He had, he had a Pop-Tart in one hand and he had a toy in the other hand and he was playing with not a care in the world. Didn't know. Didn't realize. The whole time we're yelling, Dion, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Frantically searching for him. And he was safe, sound. He was okay. You know, I feel like what we have to understand today and the message I came to bring to you is that God is searching for you. He is declaring over you right now in this moment, where are you? Where are you? See, you might have been here and you might be saved and been at church for 30 years, or this might be your very first time here in a church service and you don't know Jesus from Joe, but the same question applies to us. Where are you? This is what I want to deal with today because you might be just like Dion, twiddling at your thumbs and not understanding that there's a God out there that is searching for you. That your whole life, before you were even formed, before you were even fashioned or even imagined by your parents, you existed in the heart of God and he was looking for you. Aren't you glad that there's a God that's not distant, that's not far off, that's not aloof and, and, and away from his children, but our God is frantically, desperately, eternally searching for you. You know, I believe the Bible, when it says this, that today is the day of salvation. And I believe that if you're here today, maybe you didn't even know that God really cared for you, 
that you would know this, that God not only cares for you, but he's searching for you. He's desperate to find you. And I believe that you're going to meet him today. I believe that God's going to find you, right? Like I, we found Dion with, in the garage with a Pop-Tart in one hand and a toy in the other hand, just living life, just hanging out, not knowing that there's a God that is crazy about you. Maybe you're here and you feel opposite. Maybe you feel like, you know, my parents did and our family did as we were frantically, nervously searching. Maybe you've been searching for God. Maybe you've been looking for an answer. Maybe you're here today because you're at your last resort. Say, well, maybe I'll find something at church. And I'm telling you today that you might have looked in every other corner of this world and not found anything to be true, anything to be loving, anything that you can hold on to, but you're going to find God today. And he is, quite frankly, all that you need. So I came here to tell you today, don't give up yet. Don't throw in the towel because he's right around the corner. And I believe that he's going to meet you today and you're going to find the love of your life. The title of my message today is Where Are You? And here's what I want to tell you today, that God desires... God's desire is to find you, to change you, and to be found by you. I'm going to read that again. God's desire is to find you, it's to change you, and it's to be found by you. Come on, let's pray together, church. God, we love you and we thank you so much for all that you have done, all that you are doing now and all that you're going to do. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would bring in the spirit of wisdom and revelation, according to your word in Ephesians 1.17, that you would show us and reveal to us who Jesus is. Let us see you, know you. Let us be changed by you. Let us leave this place differently than how we came here. Let us be found. Come on, just make that your heart prayer. Find me, Jesus. Would you find me? Wherever I'm at, whatever scenario I'm going through in life, would you meet me in it? We love you. We bless you. your name I pray. Amen. It was a dark, cold, Texas winter night. Okay, I'm setting the scene for you. I was driving home. On my way home from work, I worked at a saltgrass steakhouse. It's probably like 1130. And here's the thing about Texas. When it gets cold, they don't know what to do. It doesn't happen there often. So what happens down there is that it gets like not cold enough to where it's snow, but just cold enough to where it's ice, you know? So it's actually, it's a lot different than up here to, you know, to give them a little bit of, of leeway. It's a lot different than up here for where here, it'll just be a bunch of snow. For them, it's a bunch of ice and it's really dangerous. And it was one of those winter nights. There was a little bit of ice on the ground and I had just gotten home because, you know, I know how to drive in the snow and we all know how to drive in the snow. But down there, they, they don't know what's going on. Let me tell you this. They, put, they don't have salt, so they put sand on their road when it gets icy, which just makes the road slippery and sandy. It doesn't fix anything. It's just, it's, it is what it is. Anyways, I get home, get in my dorm, take my, I had to wear this goofy apron at Texas, uh, the steakhouse, so I took my apron off, set it down. I was getting ready to climb in bed and pass out, and I got a phone call from my friend. And I answered the phone, and has anybody received a phone call where that other person is like frantic? It's very unsettling, right? It's not a fun phone call. She said, Dominic, we just got in a terrible accident. 
me and, and her and, and my other friend, her name is Holly, they hit the side of the, the highway, the little beat, the berm there, on the side of the highway going about 60 miles an hour, slammed into it, swerved across the other side of the highway, hit the other side, and then came all the way back. Car was completely wrecked, completely totaled. And my heart sunk in that moment, you know, if it, as anybody who's received a phone call like that, I said, oh my goodness. And I said, I asked her one question, I said, where are you? Where are you? I'm not a health professional. I can't, you know, do a lot of things, but I wanted to be there to help in any way that I could. So my question carried implication. It wasn't the same thing as if you or I were talking to our friend and say, hey, where are you at? What are you up to, right? Oh, I'm at the mall. I'm at home. I'm just hanging out, right? There's no implication there. But, but the question I asked when I said, where are you, carried implication that I was coming to help. See, I needed to know where they were so that I could come to where they were in their time of need. And there's a story in the Bible where, where Adam and Eve, they disobey God. They, they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Remember this? And, and they are so ashamed. They're, they're, so, they're, they're so taken back by their sin that they hide from God. They cover themselves and they're distant. They're removed from his presence. And God, as he's looking for them, he asks them a question. He says, where are you? Adam, where are you? Now, I always thought that was a silly question for God to ask when he obviously knew where they were at. You know, my wife, she does uh, photography, and so she's always traveling to different places. And so I have her location on my phone. I can just pull it up. I can see exactly where she's at, make sure she's safe. And God had Adam's location. He, even before Steve Jobs, you know, invented I, iPhones, he, he was able to pull up Adam and say, I see you. You're right here. I know exactly where you're at. But I, I believe that God asked them, where are you? Not because he was looking for their location, but because that question carried an implication behind it that said, Adam, I'm looking for you. I want to come to where you're at. And this is what I believe God is speaking to us today. He's saying, where are you? Not because, not because he's interested in finding your location, but because he needs you to know that I'm looking for you. I'm searching for you. I am desperately and eternally trying to find and connect with your heart. This is the God we serve. We serve a God who is passionately pursuing us every moment, even when you're sleeping, even when you're not paying attention to him, even when your deepest, darkest moments, even when you're sinning, even when you're hurting, even when you're broken, he is looking for you. He's trying to find you. He's trying to connect with you. Even if you didn't even realize that there was a God, the Bible says that before, he, before we were even born, he fashioned us, he formed us, he knit us together. That before we were even reality in our parents' mind, he was already pursuing who we are. Man, that's powerful. So if you're here today, I want you to know this. You can run, but you can't hide. You can run. Trust me, I've ran. How many people have ran from God? Look at all these hands up. You might as well just give up now, right? Just stop running, right? Because, because we've found something to be true, that we cannot escape him. And just like my mom, 
when she finally found my brother eating Pop-Tarts and playing with toys, she didn't come to Dion and give him a spanking or scold him for running away or doing anything like that. Do you know what she did? She embraced him. She loved him. At least I think she did. Maybe she did give you a little spanking too. But her heart was complete because she found the one that she lost. And what I want to tell you today is God is, he's hunting you down, not to beat you up, not to tell you that you're a terrible person, not to send you to hell, but God is hunting you down so that you would finally know what it feels like to be truly loved, truly and unconditionally loved, not by a person, but by the creator of all things. He's looking for you so he can embrace you. You can run, but you can't hide. It's just a matter of time before you will be impacted by the love of Jesus. I love what, uh, what David said in Psalms 139. If you want to flip there, he says this, O Lord, you have searched me and you known me. You know my sitting down, my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. What is David saying here? He's saying, listen, God, you're not some distant person, but you have made every effort to know every detail of my life. The Bible says that he knows every hair that's on your head. He knows every hair that's on my head, and you do too. It's zero. <laughs> we'll count my beard. He knows every hair in my beard, right, for all, all my bald people out there. But he is obsessed with every detail of your life. He goes on to say this, you have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot attain it. And then watch this. David even, he even goes into this. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. You can run, but you cannot hide from the pursuit and the love of Jesus. Here's the beautiful thing about God's pursuit in our life is that even when we are in our deepest, darkest moment, when we've hit rock bottom, when we've messed up, when we've blown it, when we've lost everything, we're sitting in the mud, the mire, the gross, the yuck. This is the beauty about our God. We don't look up and see God reaching down for us. You can look to your right or to your left and see him sitting in the dirt with you. Because even at your worst, he's not intimidated by your worst. He's not intimidated by your mess. He's not, he's not turned off by your mistakes or your mishaps or your misfortune. He is, in fact, in the mess with you. The same way he was in the fire with those three boys. He didn't let them go through that alone, but he was in life's most difficult moment with them. And that is our God. He is always with us, always pursuing us. No matter what you find yourself in, he is with you. Even in the best moments of life, when you're on the top of the mountain, you just got the promotion, you've got a perfect family, everything's going great, he's there with you, celebrating and cheering you on. Come on, we serve a God that will never leave us, never forsake us, that we cannot escape if you try to. His right hand is on you, holding you. 
You know, Jesus tells a story in the Bible about a prodigal son. Do you remember the story? And this son, he tells his father, he has two sons. The father has two sons. And, and he tells his dad, listen, I want my inheritance. I want to go. I don't want to be a part of this family anymore. And this son, he goes off. He squanders the wealth in, in all of the, the ways of the world, right? And he finds himself in a pit with pigs. <laughs> Loses everything. He's dirty, filthy, covered in mud. Lost everything. He says, you know what? I'm going to go home to my dad. Maybe I can at least be a servant in his house. The Bible tells us that as this young man was still, the Bible says this, a far way off, the father saw him. He ran to him and he embraced him. You know what that says about the father? It's that the father wasn't inside watching the Browns he wasn't inside watching football or kicking it or just living his life. He was every moment, every second, standing, looking at the horizon, making sure that if, if he saw what looked to be like his son, he would go after him. And this is the God that we serve. He's, he's just waiting. He's standing there looking and searching and just waiting for us to turn our heart to him. Jesus says that I stand at the door and I knock. And if you just let me in, just, just let him in today, he'll change your life. And just like the father Jesus told us about, he ran, pursued his son, grabbed him, hugged him, loved him. The same way my mom picked up Dion and threw the Pop-Tart out of his hand and just gave him a big hug. That's what God wants to do with you today. You know, this story is, was always interesting, and we know this story. It's a very, very familiar story. But I believe this, that God wants to clean you, that God wants to clean you up. And, and I was, as I was thinking about this young man, you know, the Bible says that he was tending pigs and, and feeding them, and he was actually envious of the food he was giving to the pigs because he was so hungry. So you can imagine this guy was pretty, pretty messed up, pretty dirty. I can imagine that he was unshowered. Probably had some unwanted dreads going on in his hair, right? He probably had dirt under his fingernails, probably mud up to his knees, messing around with those pigs. And as he was coming home, he was filthy, filthy. And so often we think that we have to clean up before we come home. We have to get rid of the mud, get rid of the stench. I can't go to church. I, you, you don't know what I did last night. I can't go. I can't go. What? Let's just logically think through this for a second, okay? Let's say you're bound up in addiction and all sorts of terrible things. Let's say you do, you do beat it. You do clean yourself up before you come to God. You, you get rid of your addiction. Well, you're still a liar, Okay, you got rid of your addiction. You're still a cheater. The Bible says this, that, that every one of us are evil, that every single man, woman, we fall short of the glory of God. So even if you clean yourself up a little bit, you're still dirty. You're still filthy. Even if before you try to come to God, you try to get your life together, you will never get your sin nature together enough to deserve or earn the redemption that Jesus has given us. So you can try all you want, or you can just come home dirty. Or you can just say, you know what, I can't clean myself up anyway, so I'm just going to come home. Just come home. I want, I want to show you what what the father did when he embraced his filthy, dirty son. 
says this in Luke chapter 15, verse 22, but the father said to his servants, bring out the best, everyone say the best, the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Do you know what he didn't say? He didn't say, hey son, take a shower before I put this fancy robe on you. Could you clean your fingernails up before I, uh, you know, put this ring on your finger? That was the warning that I got from my wife when I was going to propose. She said, listen, if you propose to me and my nails aren't done, we're going to have issues. <laughs> so I made sure she had her nails. Did, were your nails done? I can't remember. I hope so. Obviously they were because we got married. So. <laughs> but his father didn't say that. His father said, you know, with, with all your filth, with all your junk, with all, all the mess, that you have, that you're carrying, I'm gonna put my best robe on you. See, listen, it's impossible for us to clean ourselves up anyways, but, but listen to this. When we come to Jesus, when we finally make the decision to allow God to find us, what he does is he places the robe of righteousness on our shoulders. And I'll, let me tell you what, that is the only thing that can clean you. We think that we need to get clean before we put the robe of righteousness on, but here's the truth. You can't clean yourself. The robe of righteousness, the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice that he made on the cross, it's the only thing that can clean you up. So you have to put it on dirty. You have to put it on dirty. And that father put that robe on his stinky, nasty, smelly son, and he said, you are righteousness. I'm telling you, there's not a person in here that has a relationship with Jesus that, that came to Jesus clean. Every single one of us came to him stinky, filthy, messed up, with our life in shambles. But I'm telling you what, that doesn't disqualify you. That actually qualifies you because it is the robe of righteousness, the blood of Jesus that cleanses us, that makes us whole, that restores us so much so that we can stand and come boldly before the throne knowing this, that we are now perfect in Christ. So come dirty, come filthy. You know, there's even some Christians here that have been Christians for 30 years and we're still trying to wash up. We still think that we have something to offer, something to contribute, that we're scrubbing really hard to get all this dirt off and God's just saying, if you just, just put that robe back on, stop taking it off, just put it back on. You can't clean yourself up. Stop messing around and pick up what I gave you and put it on because that is the only way you and I are going to be able to stand before him. The next thing he does is he puts a ring on his finger. I love it because that ring was a symbol. It was a symbol of the family. When you have a signet ring, it was, it was symbolic of him saying, this is my son. He carried now on his finger the authority, the name of his father, a part of his family. And let me tell you something, church. When you come to Jesus, he slides the seal of sonship and daughtership on your finger, which is the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit. The Bible says this in Romans that the Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God, that we are legitimate. Let me tell you something. When you come to God, he not only clothes you with righteousness, but the spirit of the living God takes up residence inside of you as the seal of your sonship, as the confirmation that you are a legitimate son and daughter of God. Did you know something? That you don't have to do this life on your own. That you don't have to figure it out. 
that the Holy Spirit, God himself, the spirit of the living God, wants to take up residence inside of you. You know, Pastor Tossie and I, we were, we were with our men last yesterday, and we were talking about this very thing, and Pastor Tossie brought up a, a very important and incredible revelation. He said this, that the Spirit of God wants to live your life for you. Now, what does that mean? That doesn't mean the Holy Spirit's going to make you a puppet and just you don't have to do anything, and he's just going to do everything for you. No, no, no. What that means is this, that you have a guide, that you have Every, you, like, think about this. If you, if you ever feel like you're not smart enough to do your job, you have the intelligence of the one who hung the stars in the sky. Not because it's in you, not because it's, it's your brain, but it's because his brain is in you. <laughs> it's because he who has all the answers, who created all the answers, who is all the answers, lives inside of you. So there's nothing you don't have. There's nothing you can't do. And when you realize this fact, you realize that I have everything I need pertaining to life and godliness on the inside of me because I'm sealed as a son and a daughter. You have the living God residing on the inside of you. And then the third thing that this father did is he put sandals on his feet. I don't know about you, but I don't put shoes on if I'm not going anywhere. And he put sandals on this young man's feet because he had a purpose. He had a destination. He was going someplace. And God didn't just clean you up. He didn't just seal you with the Holy Spirit so we can sit back in these nice, comfortable black chairs and twiddle our thumbs and get a word and come to church and just enjoy life. No, no, no. He put shoes on your feet. Why? Because you've got places to go. You've got things to do. You've got destiny on the inside of you that, that you're saved and you're, you're cleaned up. You're positioned where you're at, not just so you would look pretty, but because you would do the will of the Father in this earth. Here's what, here's what blows my mind. Every time I think about this, it blows my mind that Jesus would do all that he did for 33 years and then hand everything over to a couple little boys. Have you ever thought about this? We think about the apostles as these like, you know, stately elder, like just a powerful men that just like carried the church. These were boys. Have you ever been to DSM? No offense, guys. I love y'all. But these were teenagers. Like, think about this. Jesus gives the, the stewardship of the gospel to a man who just a few days earlier denied that he even knew who Jesus was. And then Jesus says, I'm leaving, so this is all on you, Peter. <laughs> you remember who I am now, right? Because a couple hours ago, you forgot who I was all of a sudden. But you, we're good now, so you remember who I am? Okay, I'm going to leave. So everything rests on you. If you were to ask me, that's a bad investment. I would not do things that way if I was God. But for whatever reason, God has chosen to use the foolish things of this world. And when I say foolish things, don't look to your neighbor. I'm talking about you. You are a foolish thing. <laughs> I am a foolish thing. Peter was a foolish thing. These, like the fact that God would choose to use me is beyond me. It doesn't make any sense. But this is how God works. He cleans you up. He places the robe of righteousness on you. He gives you the Holy Spirit and he says, all right, now get to work. And let me tell you something, there is no training period. Can I tell you this? You don't have a mini Holy Spirit on the inside of you. 
that you walk into work tomorrow morning with the fullness of the power of God on the inside of you. You carry the fullness of his presence. Like, like quit making excuses to God saying, well, I didn't go to Bible school. I missed church last week. I can't pray for that person. This is a good one. Let me call my pastor. Now, listen, I get it. We're, we're there to help and guide and do all of these things, but don't get it twisted. I don't have anything that you don't. I don't have anything that you don't have. My prayers are not more impactful than yours. God doesn't love me more than you. He's equipped every single one of us with sandals to do what he's called and positioned us to do. And so as Christians, we got to answer the call and say, you know what? Okay, I'm going, I'm going. I got shoes on my feet. I got to get up and start walking, start moving, start doing stuff. Don't be nervous because Jesus tells the, the, the apostles this. He says, listen, in that time, in that hour, don't try to plan what you're going to say because the Holy Spirit is going to give you the words in that moment. Your only goal, your only objective is to be obedient. Be obedient. Listen, obey. Listen, obey. Listen, obey. The father said to his servants, bring out the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. You know, we normally do this at the end, but I want to I take a moment, and I, wanna, I want us all to just bow our heads, close our eyes, and I want to spend a, a, just a second in prayer because I believe that there's people in this room who right now, in this moment, say, you know what, I want to come home. I want to be found. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of hiding. I'm tired of trying to clean myself up. I can't do it. I can't. I want to come home. And if that's you in this place, all I want you to do is just slip your hand up so I can see it. I want to pray with you. I see that hand. That's awesome. Come on, boldly slip it up. I see it. It's powerful. Come on, right now, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Everybody in this room, let's pray it out loud. Jesus, I'm coming home. I'm coming home. I'm done running. I'm done hiding. Clean me up, Jesus. Give me the Holy Spirit. And give me a purpose and a destiny. I believe in you, Jesus. That you died. You rose again for me. I give you my life. In your name I pray. Amen. You know, I learned something about marriage not too long ago. I used to think that the dating part of marriage was when you get to know, you know, the person that you're talking to, and then you get married, and then you just live life with the person that you met. And that's an oversimplification of what marriage is, but I learned something, that you never stop knowing who you're with. Did you know that? I didn't know that. I thought I'd take you on a few dates, i find out how many brothers and sisters you have, and what you want to do, and what your favorite color is, and then we just, boom, we're just good. But I've realized something, and somebody has, has said this recently, that don't stop dating your spouse. Has anybody heard that? Do you know what that, you know why they are saying that? They're saying this, don't stop pursuing. Don't stop getting to know. Never stop seeking the person whom you love. 
This is what I learned about Emily is that I can't just wake up and, and just not pursue her just because we have a little bit of a history, just because I know, actually, I don't know what your favorite color is. Uh-oh, we got to start from the beginning, girl. Is it orange? No, it's not orange. Okay. No, it's not. Is anyone's favorite color orange? Oh, okay. Wow, nice. Okay. It's not hers. <laughs> I knew that, though. I was just trying to figure that out. Test y'all. Just letting you guys know. But there never comes a moment where I stop seeking her. And this is what I want to tell you today, because I, I, I've often felt, I'll say this, I've often felt incomplete with this message that I'm preaching, where God is pursuing us and he's looking for us. And I felt incomplete because of this, that there's, there, is a, there is an appropriate response to his seeking. Do you know what that response is? It's us seeking him. Because to say that all you need to do is seek the Lord is incomplete. It's an incomplete gospel. And to say that the Lord is just seeking you, you don't have to do anything, that he's just trying to pursue you, that's an incomplete gospel. And this doesn't stand true in even our relationships. It wouldn't stand true if I was the only one pursuing Emily or she was the only one pursuing me. The truth is, the complete gospel is this, is that Jesus is passionately pursuing you and our response is, Jesus, I am passionately pursuing you you. It's this mutual seeking every single day where we now that we're cleaned up. Maybe you've been to church for a while, but listen, this is your responsibility. You have to find him. He spent eternity looking for you. Now you better be really good at finding him. And every single day we, we are driven with this passion and this desire to see the face of the Lord. That's who we have to become. That's who we are. That's our only response to what he's done for us. In Psalms chapter 27, he says this to David. David says this, when you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. And this is what I desire for us today, that our response to this moment today, our response to this question that says, where are you, would be this, I'm right here, God, where are you? Where are you? Because I'm searching for you. I'm looking for you. I am passionately trying to discover who you are. You know, I oftentimes like to know which person said I love you first in a relationship, right? MP, Uncle Mike, who's the first one to say I love you? Uncle Mike said I love you first. That's, that's so, see, it's like, aw, so cute. I often like to know those things. And, and when I think about our relationship with the Lord, do you know that the Bible says that we can only love him because he first loved us? Like, we like to think that we've made the decision to come to Jesus. You didn't make the decision to come to Jesus. He made the decision for you 2,000 years ago when you, he was hanging on that cross. He said, I love you first. And everything that we do, everything that we are is in response to that one moment where Jesus died on that cross. When Jesus hung on that cross and said, I love you, I love you, we respond to that, that sacrifice that he made. We respond to that statement. We respond to that pursuit and we say, Jesus, I love you. I'm passionate for you. I'm seeking after you every single day. Could you please stand with me as we close today's service?
God's desire is to find you right now where you're at, wherever you're at. It doesn't matter what you have going on in your life. It doesn't matter if you've been saved for 50 years or if this is your first time in church. God's desire is that he would find you. He's asking you, where are you? Where are you today? He wants to change you. I know so many Christians that fight God. They're fighting him because he's trying to place this robe of righteousness on you, but you're trying to do it yourself. I know people who aren't saved that refuse the gift because they feel like they're unworthy. Here's a newsflash. We're all unworthy. (laughs) No one deserves the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness of the Lord. So let's all in this moment just receive that robe of righteousness. Come on, just put it on symbolically. Just, ah, there you go. Put it on. Nice and, nice and snug. We embrace your free gift, Jesus. We thank you for dying on the cross. We're, we're sorry for even trying or attempting to clean ourselves up. That's so foolish. We couldn't do it. We accept your free gift right now. Come on, just welcome and invite the Holy Spirit into your life in this moment. Say, Holy Spirit, would you come in and Would you lead me and guide me? Be the seal of sonship over my life. I promise to be obedient. My only job is to be obedient. Would you lead me in all things? Would you show me my purpose, my destiny? You know, I hear the Holy Spirit saying this, that some of, some of us Christians forgot that we had sandals on. Some of us Christians forgot that he put sandals on your feet. And that wasn't so you would have comfortable house shoes. That was because he has an assignment for you. So Holy Spirit, would you awaken again that destiny, that purpose, that assignment that you've placed on our life. We'll be quick to obey. We'll be quick to follow you. And Jesus, every day, every moment, we want to seek your face. We want to find you. We want to know you. You gave everything for us. You died on the cross. You set us up. You've cleaned us. You restored us. You healed us. You did everything for us. Now it's our job, our turn, to lay down our life for you. You didn't die so that we didn't have to die. You died to show us how to die. We follow that example right now, Jesus. We take up our cross and we say, because of what you've done, we lay down our life. Would everything that we do be to please you, to glorify you, to magnify your name? When you said to us, seek my face, our response has to be, it will be, Every day, your face, Lord, I will seek. Every day, every moment, we want to know you. We love you. We bless you. In your matchless name, I pray. Come on, everybody said. Amen. 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 Do me a favor, church. I want to ask you two questions. 
first question is as our altar ministers are coming forward, here's the first question. If you prayed that prayer, if you lifted your hand up just a few moments ago and we prayed together and invited Jesus into your heart, this is what I want you to do. I want you to make a bold step. I want you to, before you leave this place, I want you to come forward because I believe that these men and women up here, they're filled with prophetic words. They're filled with the anointing and the power of God. And I know that they have things that they want to release over you to introduce you to who Jesus is and what to do now. <laughs> Here's the second thing I want to ask you. If you're here and you're, maybe you find yourself just like, well, maybe not like Dion because he didn't know he was lost, but maybe you know you're lost. Maybe you know you're broken. Maybe you've got situations and different things falling apart all around you. Here's the beautiful thing about our church, our family here, is that we don't do life by ourselves. We don't do it. Because the enemy waits like a lion seeking whom he may devour. Do you know how lions find the people that they're going to devour? Well, the, the animals that they're going to devour? They look for the animals that are separated from their pack, from their herd. Lions don't overwhelm. They don't overpower. They, they're sneaky. They're tactical. And the moment the animal disconnects, boom, the lion gets them. This is why we don't do life alone, because the enemy is a lion and he's looking to, to devour you. So we want to believe with you. We want to love with you. We want to declare that God has the answer, the solution, whatever you need, whatever problem you came in here with, we believe that you're going to leave the problem here and you're going to leave different. You're going to leave changed. You're going to leave with all that God has for you. So come on, let's bless the Lord. Jesus, we bless your name. We bless your holy name. We worship you, we glorify you, we honor you, we thank you that you've never stopped looking for us, never stopped searching for us, that your heart has always been for us, after us. We thank you that you found us today, Jesus. Now would every day from this moment forward be us finding you. We honor you, we bless you, we love you. In your name I pray. Come on, everybody said. Amen. Hey, remember to live right, love everyone, pray hard, come this way before you go that way, and we'll see you all next time. Have a good one.